following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Well, good morning, everybody. I get to be Pastor Ron today. I, I almost was going to try to write a song and grab the guitar and just start playing because I know you're used to when a Pastor Ron is up here, he sings a song. So, but not this morning. Sorry, I'm letting you down. But uh, how many of you, when you're reading a good story, you can totally imagine everything that's happening in the story, right? Like you just see every little detail. For me, uh, sometimes when I read a good story or hear a good story, for me, my mind goes to like a movie or a TV show that I've, I've seen at some point in time. There's a running joke in our family gathering sometimes. Um, we'll be sitting around the table and somebody will be telling a story and be like, oh yeah, that's like in Forrest Gump when you know, he says, like, oh, Lieutenant Dan, you ain't got no legs. And then Jason will be like, Ron, I've never seen Forrest Gump. You know, I'm like, what? You've never seen that? And so I have to say that a lot at our family gatherings. I'll make a movie reference and be like, what? You've never seen that? So, um, but I think that's why for me, when it comes to different passages in the Bible, um, I tend to gear towards the ones that I can visualize, right? There's stories in the Bible that when you read them, they just come to life to you. Because as you're reading them, you can just picture everything that's going on, right? Today's passage that we're going to look at is one of those types of passages that when you read it, you should be able to see everything that's going on. And if you're not one of those visualizers that you can actually just read it and picture it, hopefully I'm going to help you in the process. Um, But actually, so today to start, um, you don't have to look in your Bibles because I'm going to read it to you. But I want you to close your eyes. And as I'm reading it, I want you to try to visualize each part of this passage. Okay? And the passage comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. So go ahead, close your eyes. I see some of you still have your eyes open. You're not going to get away with it. It says this, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me! Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Hey, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. All right, go ahead and open your eyes. Did you see it? Okay, good. Because we're going to be coming back to that this whole time, all right? Let's pray. Father, we give you this time. Open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to your word this morning. Amen. Well, every week we hear Pastor Jonathan, when he's preaching, he shares the gospel at a part of his message, right? And he's got this little phrase, 
And actually, a couple weeks ago, when Pastor Jonathan was gone, Pastor Ron was preaching, he made us recite that over and over to help us remember what it was. I'm not going to make you recite it with me. If you do want to do it, feel free. But he talks about how uh, Jesus lived perfectly. He died sacrificially, rose victoriously. I always forget the fourth one. To deliver us completely. Yes. All right. But I got to thinking, if I truly believe that, if we truly believe that, right, and I have this gratitude I say I have for what he's done, what should our approach be to Jesus? Now, this passage that I read is actually very near and dear to my heart, um, because, um, and when I was preparing for this message, I was looking back at my old journal entries. I'm one that journals sometimes more frequently. It might be, you know, a season of my life where I'm journaling every day, once a week, and then I put it off for a couple years, and then I come back to it, right? So I went back to figure out when I was wrestling with this passage most. And uh, the earliest date was March 28th, 2011. Now, there's really no significance to that date, but I was on a deeper journey retreat, we called it. And I used to gather with a small group of pastors and some other ministry directors, and we would go out and we'd try to rest and get spiritually um, rejuvenated um, to continue in ministry. And so while we were there... Um, it was just before we were going into silence and solitude because we practiced the spiritual disciplines while we were out there. And the pastor brought up this passage. And he said, what I want you to do is go back and I want you to read this over and over and over again and see how God is speaking to you in this. And in my journal there, I remember the part that I just kept going back to was, what is it you want me to do for you? And so when I was preparing for this message, I really thought that was going to be my focus, is that question that Jesus had for Bartimaeus. But what I kept being focused on was actually blind Bartimaeus and his approach to Jesus. Because his approach to Jesus is a great reminder of what our approach to Jesus should be when we encounter him daily. So the first point I have here is that to approach him with humility. So we go back to the text. We look at verses 46 through 48. I'm just going to read those three verses again real quick. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me! So here we have a blind man named Bartimaeus. Now Mark is the first gospel writer to actually name this blind person. So there are two other stories in the gospels that mention the blind man, but in those there's two blind men and they never seem to mention their names. Many commentary writers believe Mark mentioned the son of Timaeus because he would have been well-known at the time. So when writing this, people would recognize, oh yeah, that guy, the son of Timaeus. I get it. But now it's a little bit less relevant that we know his name. But what's most relevant is that he's blind. Now, being blind at the time meant that he was desperate. Uh, there wasn't any government aid, really, at the time to help out. So the only way to make any type of living or make ends meet was that he had to beg on a busy street, preferably like the one that was there. 
Now this street here, it says they're on their way to Jericho. This is a busy road between Jericho and Jerusalem. So people would be walking on this all the time. Um, and beggars at the time would have a cloak, and usually they were given a different colored cloak, so you would know that they were legitimately begging. Because you ever get that where you're driving up to a, a, a light at, in the cities or something like that, and somebody's holding up the sign, and you're like, should I give to them? What are they going to spend this on? Is this legit? Is this a guy who has a tide during the day, and for a little extra cash, they're putting up the sign? I don't know. So it was the same type of thing here. They had these cloaks out there so that you knew, okay, this is legit. I can give this person some money. And they would put their cloaks out in front of them, drop the money in there, and then they would, they would move on. But unfortunately, being a blind beggar, you were the lowest of the low. You were, like I said, you were very desperate, broken. And he was so desperate and broken that he didn't care what people thought when he found out that the Jesus of Nazareth was walking through. He cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me, at the top of his lungs. And the people even rebuked him around him. We're telling him, hey, quiet down, beggar boy. Be, you know, Quiet down a little bit. You're being too loud. Putting him in his place. He's like, I don't care about you. I'm going to shout out so I can get Jesus' attention. And it's the first time that actually Mark mentions that Jesus is the son of David, implying that the belief that he was a true descendant of David um, and Jesus of Nazareth being the son of God. Bartimaeus believed it so much that he wanted to make sure Jesus heard. Now, I can, I, again, my mind goes to a movie here, okay? And so I think of the original Rocky, Right? Do you, if you haven't seen the original Rocky, you've probably at least seen a clip at the end. Rocky has just fought the, the fight of his life. His eyes are swollen shut, so he's blind, and he's yelling out, Adrian! You know, at the end there, super loud. And, you know, you got little Adrian in the crowd, she's like, oh, Rocky, Rocky. And her hat falls off. You got the Rocky music going in the background. I mean, that's what I'm picturing here, that Bartimaeus is just yelling at the top of his lungs like it's, he's yelling for Adrian, Jesus, to get his attention, right? But there's another, um, you know, when you, when you think about it, we're not that much different than Bartimaeus, actually. I mean, okay, yes, he's blind, right? But we may not be physically blind, um, but we may have some spiritual blindness. We may have some things getting in the way of us and God, and it may take realizing we are desperate and broken, and maybe even getting on our knees and crying out to God at the top of our lungs, have mercy on me. Last year, uh, I read a book that I know a few of you have also read. It's called The Garden, written by John Gordon. Now, um, if you've never heard of that book or heard of John Gordon, you may have heard The Energy Bus. He wrote that a few years back. Very popular in, in different um, businesses and schools of just... Um, but he wrote this book about the Garden of Eden, and I highly recommend it. But in his book, he talks about the game plan of the enemy, or of Satan, right? And essentially, the things that keep us spiritually blind. And in that, he talks about the five Ds. The five Ds are doubt, distort, discourage, distract, 
and divide. The first one, doubt. Doubt that God can be trusted. So if we look back to that story of Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan says to Eve, he says, did God really say that you couldn't eat from all the trees in the garden? Well, no, they couldn't eat from one tree. But by asking that question, he created doubt that God could be trusted, that he was holding back on what's best for them. The enemy places doubt in our minds each and every day, like, why is that person doing well and I'm not? Or why do they get to achieve their dreams and I don't? God provided abundance, and the enemy was able to get them to focus on what they lacked. And when we focus on what we don't have or what we can't control, it often causes us to lose sleep or feel anxious or even depressed. The second D is distort. He distorts truth with lies. The truth was that Adam and Eve were made in God's image, and the enemy convinced them that they weren't. The truth was that if they ate from the forbidden tree, God said they would die, and the enemy said God was lying and they would not die. The enemy made it seem like God was trying to keep them from becoming like God, when in fact God told them not to eat from the tree so they could continue to be like him. Common thoughts for distorted truth are, I'm not enough, my future is hopeless, I will never be successful, I'm unlovable. This is as good as it gets. My dreams are just that, dreams, and I will never get to accomplish them. The third D, discourage. The enemy distorts truth with lies to cause you to doubt and become discouraged. Now, Satan can't win by himself, so he uses ourselves against us to get discouraged and sometimes depressed. I don't know about you, but I've, I know I've woken up in the middle of the night thinking about something that I said or something that I did, and I'm beating myself up, and I can get discouraged. Probably not alone, right? We give up because we get discouraged. The enemy lies to us so that we make a bad choice or so that we will get so discouraged that we just decide to give up. Now, the fourth D, distract. I think that's probably one of the biggest ones, right? Um, the enemy is a master of distraction and getting our attention with things that are pleasing to the eye and desirable but distract us from what matters most. I mean, let's face it. This right here can be one of our biggest distractions, right? We get bored and all of a sudden, oh, what's on Facebook? What's on Amazon that I can buy? What's on Snapchat? I don't know, right? But it can be a huge distraction. There are, it's all around us. Or it could be spending more time working harder and harder to accumulate things instead of spending time with the ones we love or that love us most. John Ortberg, a well-known pastor and author, said, For many of us, the great danger is not that we renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. We might even listen to a sermon and feel like we need to do more when really God might be telling you, do less. How about you try just being with me? I mean, let's face it, distractions cause us to become less than what God created us to be. We must 
continually watch out for how distracted we are. And the fifth one, final one, right? Divide. Evil's ultimate goal is to divide us and separate us from God. Every time we doubt, believe a lie, get discouraged, and get distracted, we'll get distracted and feel further away from God and the people we love. So what's causing you blindness? Is it all these? A couple of these? Is it none of these, but maybe something else? Let's face it, it would be easiest to be, continue in our blindness, right? But I kind of like Bartimaeus' approach, where he is so desperate, shouting at the top of his lungs, as if his life depended on it, to get Jesus' attention. And once he got Jesus' attention, notice how he approached Jesus with sacrifice. That's our second point. So let's take a look at verses 49 through 50. So Jesus stops, he hears him, and tells his disciples to call him. I love this reaction. Jesus is on a mission to get down the road, and he stops just in time to put his ear up to hear the marginal. Uh, very similar to when Jesus was walking through and there was a bleeding woman who had been struggling this for 12 years, right? And she was so desperate and broken. Jesus is walking through. She's getting on her hands and knees and she's reaching out, just trying to catch and touch a piece of his cloak. And when she finally reaches out and gets it, Jesus stops. He feels that, even just a little brush up against his cloak, and he stops and looks down and she's... Healed. Her faith has healed her, right? So Jesus stops for Bartimaeus and he calls him. So they call him. Hey, have courage. He's calling for you. What? Uh, me? I am? It, it's kind of funny. They were just rebuking him, telling him, hey, be quiet. And now they're like, hey, oh, all of a sudden, come on, let's, let's get up, let's go. But he threw off his cloak and he jumped up and he came to Jesus. Now, again, I think of another movie and this situation of his reaction. He gets up and he's all excited. I think of Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Um, Charlie comes home with that golden ticket. Not the Willy Wonka version, even though I prefer that version. But Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, it's awesome. He goes in. He comes home with the golden ticket. He's got his grandparents laying on that bed. Can you see that? When the four grandparents are just laying there and they're all sickly and the mom keeps um, helping them out. Well, Charlie goes over by the grandpa, gives him the golden ticket to look at it, and grandpa grabs it, and he's focusing in on the ticket, and his eyes get real big, and he pulls back the covers, and he does like this little jig up out of his bed, you know, he's been sitting decrepit the whole time, but now all of a sudden, he's just dancing around. That's how I see Bartimaeus, he gets up, and he's just dancing along, and he starts heading this way, and the disciples are like, no, no, not that way, he's over this way, because he can't see, and so... Anyways, he goes back, and, um, and what's, what's also cool about this story, though, is the sacrifice part of it, right? Um, it says that he threw off his cloak. Now, this was a big sacrifice at the time, because remember what I said earlier, in order for him to collect any type of money whatsoever, he had to have that cloak in front of him. People could drop the money into it. So by him taking his cloak and throwing it off and then running toward Jesus, he's saying, I don't need this anymore. I have so much faith in what God is going to do, what Jesus is going to do here in this situation, that I'm not going to need that anymore. I'm going to be totally different. I'm going to be stripped of having to deal with that anymore because I'm going to be with Jesus. Um, 
Another gospel writer, Luke, wrote something about sacrifice too. In Luke 9.23, he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, we must be willing to sacrifice our desires to follow his. Recognize what's blinding us, throw, off, throw it off like Bartimaeus' cloak, and run after Jesus. I mean, trust me, I'm still a work in progress. I get up every morning, and in the shower, I get on my hands and knees, lay my sins at Jesus' feet. I grab that water, I put it on my heart, my head, and my hands, and say, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I cannot do this alone. I need you, Jesus. Don't we all? Right? But I was thinking more about that verse in Luke, and I was thinking more about the crowd's reaction to Bartimaeus. Sacrifice doesn't always have to come in the form of letting something go. It can also come in the form of replacement. Replacing time doing something for yourself with doing something for someone else. Now, I know some of us in here have dealt with more blindness than others. So what are we doing with that and what we've learned in that process? Maybe someone you come in contact regularly needs a little more grace, and because you received grace, you now know even better how to give it. Or maybe you, somebody, someone needs to be listened to or prayed for by you because they know you've been down that road. By doing that, you sacrifice time, energy, and commitment. And that's sacrifice too. See, sacrifice doesn't have to be such a negative thing. It's got a really negative stigma to it, but we get to sacrifice. Now let's get back to the text, and you'll see that Bartimaeus not only humbled himself, sacrificed all he had, but he also approached, approached Jesus with vulnerability. So that's our third pro point here. Approach him with vulnerability. So Bartimaeus gets to Jesus. He made it through the crowd and people and everything, and Bartimaeus is center stage for all to see. The text says, then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? Now what's interesting is Jesus asked the same question to James and John in the passage before. So in Mark, we have here a two different versions. So we've had what not to do and then what to do. Bartimaeus is the what to do, but right before that, James and John kind of failed. Okay. So if you go back to verses 35 through 45, let's just take a look at that real quick here. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow. Bold. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at, right, at the right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard the, about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the, light, the disciples had spiritual blindness too. Even after walking and talking with Jesus for days upon days, they heard his teachings, walked side by side with him, saw healings, demons cast out. Um, they saw 5,000 people be fed with five loaves and two fish, and they still missed it. Their response is much different than Bartimaeus. They wanted positions where people would look up to them, seated next to Jesus in heaven, as if they did something better than the rest. Now let's look at Bartimaeus' response to Jesus' question. He says in verse 50 there, Rabbi, I want to see. So Bartimaeus asked not to be seen, but to see. Not for honor, but for vision. Not to be superior to ordinary people, but to become ordinary himself. Not to rule over others, but to join them in their experience of normal life. Being scary is, or sorry, being vulnerable is scary though, right? Imagine how Bartimaeus must have felt. Here he is, all these people, center stage. He's got Jesus right there asking this question. I don't know about you, but I'd be a little scared, like, well, can I answer it with multiple answers? Like, do I have to pick one thing? You know, like, you got this big crowd around, well, what if they laugh at me? Uh-oh, I just threw out my cloak with all those coins in it and everything. Did I make the right decision here? You know, I could just see a flood of everything going through his head, right? But as scary as being vulnerable may be, have you ever experienced vulnerability, and it was one of the best experiences you ever had? Like there was just such a connection there, or you experienced God in a different way. You know, it was pretty cool. So Friday, we picked up our kids from FCA camp, and um, yeah, I'm trying not to get emotional in a second. But so we're going through some uh, stories of what happened on that trip, and uh, Hannah shared a pretty cool story of something that happened to her. And she was at one of the chapel services, and they're singing songs, and she just heard this voice, kept telling her, reach out and touch the, the kid in front of you, just on their shoulder. And she's like, uh, are you sure that's, okay, is that me? Is that really some other voice? And she just kept hearing it over and over. Just go ahead, you can do it, Hannah. Just reach out. And she's like, well, what if, you know, this boy thinks that I like him or, you know, or what if people around me think something different than what I'm really trying to do here? And he said, just do it, just do it. So finally, she reached out and he was like really far ahead of her, she said. So she had to really reach out and stretch and she, like, here's his shoulder and she like just got her fingers on his shoulder there and just touched him. And she felt his body just all of a sudden become at peace. And she had it on there for a little bit, and she took it away. And later, she found out in her huddle group, he had shared with somebody else, and that, that got over to her huddle group leader. But what happened at that time is he was praying to God at that point. He was feeling some stuff, and he just said, God, please just reach out to me, and let me know you're here and you got my back. Boom, and he touched her. Pretty cool. Here we had... Hannah being vulnerable enough to listen to that voice, to reach out and touch that kid. And that kid being vulnerable enough to cry in desperation to God, please help me, Jesus. Pretty cool stuff, right? 
You tend to learn things about people and yourself on a deeper level when you're vulnerable, don't you? When we get vulnerable, it tends to be the thing that draws us towards God and towards others. Imagine if we were a little more vulnerable with each other or with Christ. What would life look like? John Mark Comer, pastor, podcaster, and author of one of the books we talked about in our discovery group earlier this year, uh, he wrote the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He recently said in one of his messages, God comes to us in our vulnerabilities, in our pain, in our sufferings, when we are stripped of our control, when we're no longer the captain of our ship and the master of our masters of our destiny, when we're humans, broken, weak, desperate, contingent, in need. Sounds about right. Richard Rohr, a well-known priest, author, and speaker, wrote, It's through the holes in our soul that God breaks in and we break out. That's exactly what happens to Bartimaeus. Jesus breaks in and breaks Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus out. He says to Bartimaeus in verse 52, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. He's been healed both spiritually and physically in this situation. And what's crazy is in the beginning of the passage, we have a blind beggar on a road, and we end with a man who can see following Jesus on a road. So what's Jesus saying to you today? Is he asking you to recognize your blindness? Is he asking you to humble yourself? sacrifice something, to be more vulnerable, to focus more on those five Ds that I mentioned? <clears throat> or is he just simply maybe asking the question that he asked the disciples in Bartimaeus? What is it you want me to do for you? What would your response be? Well, I'm going to help you with that this morning. So I want you to close your eyes again, Okay. And again, I want you to visualize here. So I want you to visualize Jesus is standing in front of you. He's got his hands on your face. And he's looking you right in the eyes. And he's asking you that question. What is it you want me to do for you? And I want you to respond silently. And keep your eyes closed. May your response be the focus of your prayers this week. And may you approach the Father with humility, sacrifice, and vulnerability. Father, thanks for always being available to us. And thanks for listening. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.erieefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.